0: Well, church, uh, it is good to be with you. I am, again, Pastor Austin, and I need to tell you a little bit about uh, my mom. You'll get to know her as uh, she comes and she stays with us, but there's one thing that um, <laughs> that I love about her that kind of tells a little bit of a story so you can get to know her, um, is my mom was the quintessential soccer mom. When I say soccer mom, though, it's like the 90s version, where um, when the coach asked, hey, does anybody— want to bring snacks for the next game or the next tournament, my mom's hand would be always the first one to shoot up. She'd be like the kid that always knows. Like Hermione Granger of of Harry Potter. Like she's like me, 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 me. And um, that always put a huge pit in my stomach because Um, I don't know if you know, in the 90s, like when you went after a game and you got snacks, like the cool thing that you really wanted was one, were a couple of these. These fruit barrels or these fruit squeezes. Anybody like ever like get these or see these around? Because some things come back in nostalgia, right? And so they return. This was the thing that we wanted. And this was a thing that, especially after a win, was like, mm, it tasted so good. And after, like, a loss, it, like, started to heal the wounds in our lives, right, that we were feeling. But instead of bringing these, to which all of my friends and teammates wanted, my uh, mother would bring orange slices. Right? And not just, like, like, she would peel them. She would cut them, and they'd be in baggies for like every kid. Like here's your, like, and they have their name on it. And she would just hand them off as a kid, and you'd come off the off the field, and they'd be like, "Thanks, Mrs. Bailey," right? Like it was, uh. And the whole time, like they take it from me, and they like look at me, and I'm like, "I'm sorry, I'm so sorry," right? Um, and you think this is bad as an eight year old? Um, fast forward 13 years later, I'm in college. And I'm playing ultimate frisbee with our team from North Park, but we're in Louisiana. And my mom decided that they were going to drive from Texas to Louisiana to watch us for the weekend. And my mom, without any asking, decided that she's going to be the team mom. So she tells me this, and I'm like, no, 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 no. No, you don't understand. We're, We're grown men. We have our big boy pants on, and we can provide for ourselves. Maybe if you come, you can take us out to Olive Garden after for all-you-can-eat pasta, right? Like, that's what a college kid's dream. Like, let's go all-you-can-eat pasta, Olive Garden. That's okay. But instead, she shows up Saturday morning, 8 a.m., like, carrying this, like, huge, like, barrel and wheelbarrow of food. And my head is like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I start pre-apologizing before she even makes it there. But after our first game, and our first, uh, my mom comes up, and she's like, here, everybody, and my mom is the hit. Like, she is, everyone's like, oh my gosh, she is not only the team mom for us, but the word goes around that our team has a team mom, and people were coming over and be like, hey, do you have any extra orange slices? And I'm like, orange slices, really? You got to trigger me right now? Like, this eight-year-old body is just not loving this right now. But she became so amazing. And I think about that story, and I think about as we're talking this morning about what does it look like to cultivate our faith and what feeds us. What my mom taught me that night was in that day and then throughout the years is always what is always cool isn't always what's best especially when we're feeding our lives. What is cool in the moment is not always what is best. And I think that comes within faith, too. When we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, that what tastes good or what's good in the moment isn't always what's best for us. Like, friends, we're talking this morning about cultivating our faith in Jesus Christ, and we're talking about what feeds us. And I'm going to tell you, if my mom brought those orange slices... She's actually doing the best thing for me instead of those awesome fruit barrels like drinks that you would just drink and it would taste so good. But this morning, what we're talking about is we're asking that question. What is feeding your faith? And is that, is our faith being cultivated by what we're feeding it or is, are we depriving our life and our faith from what we need? So let's turn to, to Hosea chapter 10. If you would with me, I have it um, open in my Bible. So if you have one uh, with you that's great, whether it's uh, physical or digital, um, we like to look at it together. This is Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says this Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up the fallowed ground, for it's time to seek the Lord. And this is where we're going to be sitting in this morning that it's time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we just ask that it is you, Jesus, often we're talking to your disciples and those around you, that you said a phrase, if you have eyes, let us see. If we have ears, let us hear. God, we're here to meet you, to engage with you, to interact with you, to see what you have for us this morning. You are the source of all life. So we ask this in your name. Amen. So I don't know if you remember, like, last week, if you watched, but I was up here on the stage, and I had some Cheerios, and I was just tossing them everywhere. Don't worry, we cleaned it all up. But there's still Cheerios um, in the soil. And we talked about what it means to, like, sow righteousness or sow right living. And I don't know, how how did you do this week? How did you do when we were talking about sowing love, sowing peace, sowing patience, humble kindness, goodness, like, I don't know how you did, like, Monday and Tuesday, for me, were pretty, pretty good, like, we go around, and we were just really kind and gentle, people cut us off, and be like, it's okay, come on in, right, like, that, I heard from a couple of people, like, driving is where our gentleness needs to, like, live, and our patience, right, and, um, but then maybe you get to Wednesday, hump day, it's getting a little bit harder. Like, and then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, sometimes that slide, you know, it's not like the slides that we have here. It's like, if you've ever gone to like one of those old slides, like they build in the 90s, and it's just a straight drop. Like, that's what it was like, so unrighteousness for me this week. Like, all of a sudden, like Saturday, like last night, I thought, you know, what is right living for us as a family? It was putting our kids to bed early. Mm, amen. Anybody been there? Right? Like, you're like, Haha, if I'm going to live right, and I'm not going to live in the way, mm-mm, I'm going to put them to bed early, right? Or you just go do whatever you want to do, like, because I need, because I don't have the patience for it. But, and that's the thing that we're talking about, is if we're, if we're wanting to sow and to grow, we can't do it without Jesus, Because at the end, it talks about that it's time to seek the Lord, that we may grow, that he may rain righteousness upon you. And that's what we're saying is that if you're trying to live righteously in your own way, in your own life, it's only going to go so far. Right? Because you're pouring out of a cup that's finite, a well that's finite, that only has so much... And this is going to go dry. Like, you're going to get impatient. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to be like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is why we're sitting in Hosea because we're in the middle of this story of Hosea, but it's a microcosm of what's happening to the people of Israel. What's microcosm of what's happening to us as followers of Jesus is saying that, man, we have wanted, to, that God has chosen us to be his faithful people and we've said yes to be your God and we've tried to be faithful, but after a while we're just like, let's just do it on ourselves. The people of Israel have decided to stop trusting, decided to stop leaning in, to stop continuing even in season of dryness, to live into this idea that God is the one who rains righteousness upon you. And I think that's really important, is if we talk about God who's the one who controls all things, he's the one who raises the sun in the morning and sets it in the evening. He's the one that brings clouds and rains that provides for the vegetation. He's the one that provides oxygen for us to bleed. He is the one. So if in our faith that we believe that we can do anything apart from him, we're fooling ourselves. We need to know that we can, you cannot generate enough good faith, enough good action, sowing enough good faith For your faith to grow on its own. Like apart from Jesus. And we're saying this like, everyone's like, yeah, I know this. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And we agree with that. But my question is, it was like, what feeds you that even though you know it, do you live it? Do you know that Jesus, apart from him, you can do nothing? But do we live that way? And as I was thinking this week, I was thinking about like what in our life Feeds us, And there's two things that I really what talked about that really was feeding our faith and feeding my faith. And so when I say we're talking this morning, I'm preaching to myself. So if I can preach to you, that's okay, like hopefully. But I'm feeling my own like mess in this as well. And I thought about this, is that when we're asking the question, what feeds you? What is growing your faith? Is it being cultivated or is it being slowly deprived? I think about this thing of like what toxins are depriving your faith from growing. And when I thought about um, that, it's like when we run away, when we run to God, and we feel like we are totally parched, when we feel like our well is dry, and that we feel like it hasn't rained on our lives, that God's presence, his Holy Spirit, hasn't been in our lives for a long time, where do we go and I thought about the first thing that we must stay away from. Like we need to stay away from certain things that are actually toxic in our life and actually don't provide a faith that is growing, but actually deprives it and begins to kill it. Here's a couple of things that uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're throwing back to the 90s. Um, and this is our, a couple of things that were out in big time in the 90s. Right, Chad's over there like, yeah, let's go, right? Um, on, the, on the left is a big old, my dad's favorite. My dad probably had three or four of these a day. hey, it was Diet Coke, zero calories. Y'all are all into this. I know you're into this game. Don't come at me like that. (laughs) But right, and then on the right was like, like the 90s kids version of like, hey mom, could you just give me some like Snapple or that Sobe like life water? Like it's actually water. It's really good, right? And like all of a sudden, you're like drinking these things and my mom's going to Costco and Sam's Clubs to get these things. But actually the reality is that they are incredibly toxic to your body. Like, and if you, and as you know me, I'm going to confess right now, if you see me drinking a lot of soda, you need to come and check your brother. Because when I get stressed out, when things are heavy, I need more time in the day to do what I got to do. I go get Coke. I get a big old, maybe a super big old, and I just go to town light ice, because you get more Coke that way. Like, this is, like, I maximize my life, right? you go to Sonic, and you're like, light ice, but I love ice from Sonic, because it's so good. It's like a little tiny cubes. But these are the things that we're talking about. These things are toxic to our bodies. But my question to you is, when you're feeding your faith, what is feeding? Like, we've talked about these plants up here, and we gave you plants to take home. What are you feeding it? And if we're feeding our body things that we think are okay, like, I have up here a little toxin that I just, I, it's my joy. A little coffee in my life. But you know what happens if I drink too much of this? Dude, I'm going to be bouncing off the walls. I'll be like Tigger up here, and you'll be like Pooh Bear. You'll be so tired of me so quickly, right? But, like, but I love this thing. But if I actually drink a ton of this, what it's going to do is it's going to make me even more thirsty, than I was before. It's going to dehydrate my body, and it's going to do all the things into the insides, that I'm like, no, it's okay. It's stimulating like, my mind, and, and, and helping me stay awake, and keep focused, but what the reality is, it's actually stealing from me later on. Like, in the instant, it's like helping me stay awake, it gives me that extra jolt that I need, but after a while, hours later, the next day, if I continue to do this, it's actually going to be killing my body. As I said, take a drink. But then I thought about, like, if this is true within our bodies, like, we can't distinguish our bodies from our faith. Like, what we're feeding our bodies is going to often match, like, what is our faith. So, like, what's the Coke, the coffee, the Sobe Life Water, what is that in your life? And I kept thinking about some of the toxins that we, that we believe in, that we don't, like, kill our faith, because I don't think things are going to kill our faith. I think, don't think that things that God has borne just get killed, but I think they slowly deprive of life. So what is that? What are those things that we're believing that actually are toxic to our faith? Well, I think it's the, the narrative that the individual is more important than the community. That my needs and what I need out of worship, or what I need out of a relationship, trumps what it means to be in community. That maybe you believe this, that if I can be good enough to earn God's love, Jesus' love, that if I can do just enough sowing of righteousness, that he'll actually love me. And so you go around trying to do everything good, but you're burning out and you feel dry. Or that it's one that you need that only say a prayer to get into heaven. Man, this is one of the biggest lies that I've ever heard. And I love, and I've had moments where I've prayed with students, adults, who are like, it is time to turn our lives over to Jesus. But it's not consummated only in a prayer. Or that we don't need to give of our tithes and offerings. We just need to give our heart to Jesus. That we actually don't need to serve. Like we don't need to to clear time out of our schedule to serve one another. We just need to serve Jesus. Or we don't need to participate in the, the sharing of God's word with others. To invite people to an experience with Jesus. Both rubbing shoulders with us at our homes and at our tables. And in the church and in the broader community. We just need to leave that to the pastor's. We don't need to participate in the healing of this world because if it gets bad enough, Jesus will come sooner. Did I trigger anybody this morning? Man, that was, my, that was what I grew up with. like, man, this world is going to hell in a handbasket, and that's a good thing. And I'm like, I don't know what you're thinking because I want to have kids in this world man, I think I see a Jesus that is participating in the healing of others, in the healing of the world, They're reordering things the way that they should be as we say the kingdom come here on earth, not just waiting till heaven. I think we have a great theology and a view of what heaven looks like, and we have a terrible view of what the kingdom looks like here on earth. And the list goes on. And the reason why I say I have another list of toxins in your life, like I also think that you shouldn't be sleeping around. I think we should be faithful. I think who you follow and what you're scrolling is really important. I think we should be staying away from pornography. I think we should not be like, encouraging and participating in, in slavery, in human enslavement. I don't think we should as followers of Jesus. Like, There's a list of things that I, I don't think we should be drinking to get drunk. But I'm not legalistic here, people. Like, I'm not legalistic as followers of Jesus. I grew up in that place where we were not allowed to, to dance. We just to keep six feet from the Holy Spirit to be in between us, right? Right? Because you know what dancing leads to. Mm-hmm. I think those things are horrible. I think those things kill our faith. But I think some of these, like, smaller things that we have bought into as the body of Christ actually do a lot of damage as well. Not only to our own faith, but to others as well who are seeking out Jesus. But then I thought about this. That it's the cultures of toxins that are feeding you that are poisonous to our faith. What are we feeding on? And here's the thing that I want to check ourselves as a church as well. That it's not just so much that it's about keeping toxins out. But I want to say this. There's no shortcuts to faith. There's no shortcuts to a growing faith. And I'm going to say some things even to myself. And I'm going to share. Like this is again a conviction of my own heart that I did. Is that there's no Shortcuts to faith. That not only should we keep toxins out of our lives, but we shouldn't create and manipulate growth to participate in the manipulation of growth of our faith. Right? Like in here, where is it? Oh, right here. This one. Like this one, this plant right here is a little bit dry. And what happens when, as followers of Jesus, we're like, man, I'm not gonna put coffee in it, right? I'm not gonna put like this soda in it. I've decided not to put this because what's gonna happen? It'll kill it, right? But what happens sometimes when we're a little dry and we're thinking Jesus hasn't rained in a long time. I think as followers of Jesus, we've said that this type of lifestyle is okay. Is that we use uh, miracle grow in our faith. Am I talking to anybody this morning? That right when this is a little parched and dry that what happens is that we start to break it up and we put a little bit of water. But what we're doing is we maybe take this out and we start to mix it with a pot of soil that's called miracle Grow that has, contains like other ingredients that are going to help like, it grow, but not in a more natural way, but a way that's a little bit just, you know, like it doesn't taste right. And I think about that. Have you ever had raspberries? Raspberries are delicious. They're sweet. I've actually grown to love raspberries since my kids were born. And I started eating them. I was like, man, these things are so sweet. I love them. But then in like the last three years at our house in Connecticut, we had a raspberry bush. That we were um, intentional about cultivating the soil, intentional about how much we watered it, intentional about what we put in the ground, and then how we allowed it to grow. And I'll tell you, when those two harvests in summer came for raspberries— you know what I didn't want to do? I didn't want to go to the store and buy raspberries. Because the raspberries that were our tasting, that were cultivated intentionally with the goodness of what we were, what's supposed to be in them, they tasted sweeter and purer than I've ever tasted before. They, went and they didn't even make it off the tree into the house. Our kids would always just go, and as they're playing in the afternoon, just start picking all of the raspberries that were ripe that day. Like our neighbors even knew it. They would go over and they'd be picking up like, Hey, that's a pint. You owe me 536. Right? Like, they're so good. And I think when our faith, when we use things to manipulate the growth, Right, you taste the difference between what is good and what is pure and what is intentionally cultivated for a long period of time, like we cultivated those beds in the winter when there was no fruit, and we ch- and decided not to use things that would manipulate its growth would make it produce more than we than we wanted. but how often in our faith do we use things do we put and mix this pot plant with to make it grow. Because we think that it doesn't look in comparison to other people's faith as good as somebody else's. Like often, like as a church, like I think about our church, like right now we our high schoolers are at uh, Cascades, at the mud retreat. And I love camping. Like, we signed up Ellie yesterday uh, to go back to camp uh, in Connecticut, when we're there, and we're finding a way to sign her up to go to Cascades. Like, we love camp. I believe in it completely. But what I learned in ministry, and especially in student ministry, is that a lot of our students use camps as a way to get close to Jesus. That they knew every year that this weekend was coming up, and this weekend was incredible. It contained life transformation, it came worship, people were there to meet Jesus, to sing about Jesus, to hear about Jesus, to be convicted, to change their life. It felt real, and every year the tears would flow, and the kids would be like, I want Jesus, and I only want Jesus. And throughout the year, that was the only time their life was fed. That they use the miracle grow of this can- this conference, this winter retreat, in order that their life might grow deeper in Jesus. And then 11 months of dryness, not seeking Jesus. And that they come to this weekend, they'd be like, oh, you don't know how bad I need this. And I'm like, trust me, I know. I watched you. Whew. Right, but I want us to stop playing this game where we put miracle growth. Like that's like camps, conferences, retreats, Lent. Like we use that time. We're like, I'm gonna, Jesus, I'm going to give up something for you. But really, it's just a depravity of our soul, and we become terrible human beings. Like we want to use things in the season. Maybe it's like Christmas. Maybe it's Advent. Maybe it's Lent. Maybe it's Easter. But we use these things in order that we might manipulate growth. And church, I'm just saying. If these are the two avenues of which we don't go, where do we go? I'm amazed and enamored that Jesus is described as living water for your thirsty soul. That Jesus is living water that your thirsty soul is looking for. Like in, and I'm enamored with the word that the word of God speaks about this. To the attributes of God in Jesus, that says this: that in Jeremiah that it calls God the fountain of living water. Right in Proverbs, it talks about that that God is the wellspring of life. Like a wellspring, this beautiful thing that it's not dirty, that's clean and purified, that you want to bring all of your water bottles to, to fill up. Right? In John, it talks about that, that Jesus is rivers, that he provides rivers of living water. That he is a well of living water. When he talks to Samaritan woman, it's like, you're coming, your soul is so thirsty, your body is parched, But if you come to me, I would provide a living water that does not run dry. Man, this idea that Jesus... And this last one that comes from Revelation, I think just absolutely, utterly slayed me. That Jesus is a spring of living water that does not require payment. Man. Jesus is a spring of living water that does not require payment. Like, in a world where everything is transactional, relationships... Our jobs, friendships, like everything is transactional. You go and you want something, you're going to have to provide something for it. But that Jesus, this wellspring of life, he requires no payment. The life that he offers that comes from him, he is not coming and hiding and gating off to keep out those that can't pay for it. He's saying the doors are wide open. Anybody can come and can fill up their life, their well, their body, their soul, their faith with this wellspring of life that does not run dry, and I will give it to you for free. How many of us interact with Jesus that it requires something from us, that we got to pay him something? whether in reading your Bible or praying every day, those things are great, but you do it in a way that you think that you have to pay Jesus back for this source of living water that is so deep, that is so refreshing, that fuels your life and your faith. All it means is come to him, you weary and dry soul. Come to the source of water. Don't put these toxic in, toxins in. Instead, may your life... Be full of living water as it falls out of the bottom of it because we haven't replanted this. People, he's living water. Like, I don't know if you, like, enamored your way with Jesus. Like, have you look at Jesus like you do in some of the areas around the hikes that we have gone to, that we've gone to waterfalls, and we've actually, are sent, like, my wife is just sending me reels of places and hikes that we have to go that are beautiful places that, that have the most blue and clear water. And do you look at those pictures and you go, dang, I gotta go there. And do we see Jesus in the same way, man? Like, oh, man. I got to send a reel about Jesus because this is real. Get it real real. But my question is when we talk about what is feeding your life, what is feeding your faith? Like I'm asking that question, what do you go to when you're when you're dry? Like I'm I'm asking that real question. I'm asking my question myself. Like when I feel dry, when I feel like things aren't going well, when I need to feel better about myself, like, what do I do? Where do I go? Uh, I'm, gonna tr- I'm just going to say it. There's something that we're all sitting with right now that is a place that we go for a distraction for life to feel better about ourselves. Like, we- whenever I'm feeling dry... Like, I go to this place where I message somebody that I want to feel and feel the responses. I know that when I text them, they make me feel like the best person. Or I got to go into my feed and I got to scroll and say, my life actually doesn't look that bad. Right? Or, ah, I haven't posted in a while and and I need to post. And so you post and then you have a really good following. You have a better following than me. Because then when you check it like five minutes later, like already a couple hundred people have liked your post. And you're like, Dang. Mm, people love me, and they're filling the comments section. Like I post a picture of my kids on a hike, they're like, mm-hmm, "Your kids are so cute." And I'm like, "I know I made them, <laughs> right?" <laughs> like we go to these places, or like maybe it's maybe it's something else for you. Like I know, like kids, I'm, maybe I'm not. I know that you're in the room and students. Like, but how many of us go and we play games for hours on end because there's community there, or like I feel good when I win. Don't play a game, uh, a first-person shooter ever with me, because you will not win. I'm terrible. But, like, that's the thing. <laughs> Scott's right there going, like, yeah, he is trash. But, like, that's the thing. It's like how often we go to when we're feeling like less than. We're feeling like we need an influx of something. We need, a, we need, you know, just a quick shot of something that's going to make us feel better. What is that thing that you go to? But it requires something of you. Like, that's what I'm thinking. It requires that you submit, you edit, you photo drop that something that's so pure, that's Instagram life, that looks really not like life, but it gives a fake facade of what you are because you know that you, when you put that out there, people will envy your life and want to be like you. But it requires something of you. It requires the anxiety for you to post the perfect picture, to continue to post enough so that people will continue to find you and to follow you. It requires a transaction of your soul, stress, and anxiety that you've already been leaving into for so long. But church, why can't we go to a Jesus who is a spring of living water that requires no payment? He doesn't require you to bring that anxiety and stress to the table. Or to bring a good enough picture, a facade of what your faith actually looks like. He just says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will provide you rest. I will fill your weary soul with the water that it needs. Church, my question is to you, as you walk this week, as we sow, as we ask God to rain righteousness upon us, where are you going? Where are you feeding yourself? It's time to cultivate your faith in Jesus with each other. What feeds you? Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, there's been a lot that's thrown at us. God, and I here in our own, in my own space, I want to acknowledge that there is a voice that is speaking to us that is not Jesus. There's one that says, yes, you're not good enough. Yes, you've been searching for things that are other than him. One that provides guilt and shame into your very soul, to your heart, to your mind. And that is not you. But Jesus, you are the one who doesn't push us away, but gives us an invitation to come closer. So God, this morning I pray that you would be the giver of life, that your voice would be the one that we listen to, one that we say, come, I am here. I'm ready to fill your life in your cup. And maybe for some of us here, we actually don't know if we've ever put ourselves into the presence of Jesus, the source of all life. Maybe you need to walk through the gates. You need to go to the well. You need to sit next to my friend Jesus. You need to take off the weight of whatever you've been carrying. And you say, Jesus, I am so dry. I'm so exhausted. I'm so thirsty. I don't know if I can stand up again and walk away from this place alive. I feel that close to death. And maybe for the first time, we need to say, Jesus, I want the life that you offer, not the life that I've been feeding myself. That means that we give our lives over to you that we change our desires and our passions and we reorient ourselves back to you. Jesus, I want you. I know that I haven't been doing it right. But I need you. So God, come for the first time may you drench our weary souls. We ask this in your name. Amen.